Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Have you ever had a moment of awakening in your life? (laughs) A moment where you see something suddenly that changes how you see everything else. That even changes how you view the you that went before. How did you come to that awakening? That's what we're going to get into this morning as we carry on our series in Jonah, Family Vocation, and the title is about how the book of Jonah is really the story of the people of God in microcosm. God made us to be a family with a purpose in the world. That's the calling, the vocation on humanity. But Jonah tells this parable about how we've all run away from God in search of a better vision of our lives. And so, at the same time, it's a satire that's holding a mirror up to God's covenant people and exposing what happens when we fall asleep to our calling. And as we're following the story of Jonah, we're constantly asking, when is he going to wake up? What's it going to take to wake him up? And what it takes is being swallowed by a giant fish. That should wake you up, right? Should. So I want to welcome Bethlehem, our NC4 Bethlehem campus, joining us here live right now, and anyone online, and everyone who's here in Mukunji with me, welcome. We're following, continuing on in Jonah. Today we're going to be looking at chapter 2, and this is Jonah's moment of awakening. Or is it? We're going to find out. Right, so the title of the message is Look Again. What we're going to see at the heart of this episode is all about God's grace in the ongoing process of repentance. God's grace in the ongoing process of repentance. All right, so we're going to read the last verse in chapter one and then carry through to the end of chapter two. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Jonah 1. We're going to begin reading from verse 17. And I'll just make a couple comments along the way just to help us see some of the context. And it says, so Jonah's just been thrown overboard by the sailors at his own request. And, he said, and, it, and it says, the Lord appointed or prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, which is the grave, it's the place of the dead, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, And the flood surrounded me, all your waves and all your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. 
The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. It's another reference to Sheol, the the place of the dead, the prison of the underworld. And so it says, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. I just want you to notice there how we've moved from the Lord, God in the third person, and it's moved into you did this, your billows, you're in the second person, and now we come to the Lord my God. And Jonah's speaking now in the first person. When my life or my soul was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you or rose to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And that word steadfast love, it's chesed, it's the covenant love of God. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. So last night I was preparing for this, and my daughters were going to bed, and we, a lot of times we read a bedtime story, and I remembered that Nia has a storybook called Jonah and the Whale. So I thought, oh, perfect, I get to do bedtime and continue studying for my message. So I, I got the book, and I was really curious to see how it would interpret this particular episode. And this is what it said at this point. It says, God had seen his prophet alone and helpless in the sea, He was pleased that Jonah had sacrificed himself to save the sailors. So he had sent the whale to keep Jonah safe. Aw. That's pretty much the storybook answer. I did check, she's got another one actually, and I checked that, and it was was very different and actually much better. But that's the storybook answer that you'll typically find. Now I want us to look again. Because this is a really strange episode. It's only not strange because we're so familiar with it. This is a really weird set of events that goes on here, okay? You got a, a whale swallowing a guy, and then he's, you know, praying, and, you know, it's, it's, and then there's vomit. There's vomit in the Bible. It's weird, okay? Now, we got to ask, what exactly is the author trying to communicate to us through this? Because we've seen that the story of Jonah is this kind of multi-layered narrative, And so to begin to make sense of it, we have to look at Jonah in the context of where it is in the story of the Bible as a whole. And I just want to mention at this point, if you're you're a person who loves to get into the the nitty-gritty of this stuff, the Bible Project has some great resources on this. In fact, they've got a whole course on Jonah taught by Tim Mackey. It it, it gives you all the detail that the geeks among us would love to get. So, you know, if you're interested, go, go look into that. But We have to look at Jonah in the story of the Bible as a whole to begin to understand what the author's trying to tell us here, okay? So think back to the story of Israel. God sets them free from slavery in Egypt in order to worship him. And then in the desert, he makes a covenant with them and he gives them his instruction, his Torah, his law, his instruction. And then as the story goes on, how do they do with obeying that instruction, with keeping that covenant. Not so well. 
and it's failure after failure, descent, descent, descent. They rejected the covenant. They chased after other gods. And so what happens is eventually, after much patience and hundreds of years, God eventually allows them to suffer the consequences of their rebellion. This is starting to sound familiar to you compared to the story of Jonah. And so at this point in the story of the Bible, this is where the books of the prophets come in. It's that big, thick section in the middle of your Bible that you never ever read because it's so complicated and it's all poetry. And so this is taking place. Jonah is one of those prophets. This is the the part of the Bible that Jonah is in. And it's all taking place at this low point, this rock bottom in the story of Israel. And the prophets are proclaiming to Israel that they're going to be overtaken. They're going to be judged for their sin, and they're going to be conquered by foreign empires and taken off into exile. But in all the prophets, there's this glimmer of hope that even in the midst of their judgment, even when it seems like all hope is lost, that they'd be destroyed forever and wiped off the map, that God would make a way to redeem them and bring them back. And so you can see how this very neatly maps onto the story of Jonah. And when we get to this part of the story of Scripture, we're we're in the moment where the people of God had reached their absolute lowest. The law had failed. The temple had failed. The judges had failed. The kings had failed. The people of God had failed. This is their rock bottom. And so I want you to notice how some of the other prophets describe that moment in Israel's history. So Hosea, for instance, he's one of the earliest prophets. And in chapter 8, listen to what he says. Listen to how he describes this moment in Israel's history. He says, The people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel cries out to me, Our God, we acknowledge you. But Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. Israel is swallowed up. Now she's among the nations like something no one wants. And so, like I said, Hosea is one of the earliest prophets, and later prophets seem to borrow from his language. So Jeremiah, in chapter 51, verse 34, look at this. He says, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has devoured me. Some translations say us. He has crushed us. He has made us an empty vessel. He has swallowed us like a sea monster. He has filled his stomach with our delicacies. He has rinsed us out. And actually, the ESV says he has vomited us out. So look again at the fish. This is not Bluey the whale swooping in to rescue Jonah and you know, keep him nice and cozy and deliver him to safety. That is not what this picture is meant to be. This is a picture of judgment. And not just that, it's a picture of a terrifying death. It's a picture of utter destruction of body and spirit. And so we're supposed to read that The original audience would have read that as, this is the end for Jonah. Jonah is done for. The whale was not good news. The fish was not good news. And just like Israel, Jonah is experiencing the outcome of his decisions. 
And so, just like God had appointed the defeat of Israel and her exile, we also read here that it was God that appointed the fish. God prepared the fish. But the point of it was not his pain, but his change. The point of the exile, the point of being swallowed up by the fish, was not Israel's pain, it was not Jonah's pain, but it was for their change. And just like the Israel was God's severe mercy to Israel, the fish is God's severe mercy to Jonah. Now, you've been waiting all this time to get to the fish, so I need to say a little bit more about the fish. Because I've told you this book's not really about the fish. It is mentioned four times. And there's something interesting that happens between the first mention and the second mention. What happens is the gender of the fish switches. So the first time it's mentioned, it's, it's a male fish. And the second time it's mentioned, it's a female fish. Now, is, is anyone... Few of us speak Spanish. Anyone speak Spanish or a different gendered language? English is not a gendered language. But if you speak a gendered language, you know that the gender of the word is, it's not coincidental. It's an important feature that, that gives a different shade of meaning. And it's interesting here. So even in English, what's the difference between me saying his belly or her belly? Well, if I say her belly, there's a possibility that we're talking about a baby. When I say his belly, it's most likely just a food baby. (laughs) And we know this is intentional because actually the word for belly changes too. So the first word literally means the bowels of the fish or the intestines of the fish. But the second word for belly is most often translated womb in the rest of scripture. And it's repeated. That's the word that's repeated when it says the belly of Sheol. It's the the womb of Sheol. So what's really happening here, we have to ask. And it helps now to look at the context of the story itself. All right? So Jonah, like we've said a number of times, Jonah, ever since verse 3 of chapter 1, he's been descending. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the ship. He goes down into sleep. He goes down into the sea then. Then he goes down into the bowels of the fish. And then he's going down into the bowels of the earth. And so this is, it's not only rock bottom, he's actually under the bottom of the rocks. You notice that? The root of the mountains, he says. And it's here. This is the point where Jonah cries out to God. This is the turning point. So, look again. Jonah's tomb becomes his womb. Jonah's tomb becomes his womb. God allowed Israel to be exiled and allowed Jonah to be swallowed. But like I said, the intention wasn't their pain, it was their change. The very thing that was experienced as a death was actually the agent of transformation. And that's what Jonah begins to get a glimpse of in this moment. 
And for the very first time in the story, he does what he's failed to do since the beginning, which is cry out to God, to pray. And not only that, he does what any of us would naturally do after being swallowed by a sea monster. He writes a poem. That's what I'd do. And we look at the form of this poem, and you may have noticed it's a psalm. And it actually borrows from at least a dozen different psalms and the imagery from the book of Psalms. I wonder if you notice what kind of psalm it is. Because, all right, here he is. He's in the belly of the fish. You would expect the psalm that he writes to be a lament, a complaint. There's plenty of those. In fact, some people say up to half of the Psalms are laments. He could have perfectly written that. That's not what he writes. He writes a Psalm of Thanksgiving. That's a little weird. (laughs) The Psalm has a structure. I've mentioned this before. It's it's a common thing. There's already been three of these little sections in the book of Jonah already. It's it's a technique called a chiasm. It's this, this... Hebrew poetic technique where the first line and the last line parallel each other, and then the second line and the second last line parallel each other, and so on and so forth. And they draw your attention inward to this central phrase that is the key to understanding the whole thing. You find it all the way through scripture. It's it's a very Hebrew way of writing. And so that central line becomes the nucleus, the, the hinge point that the author is trying to draw your attention to. And when we follow it inwards, we arrive at verse 4. And it says, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Look again. Because just at the moment of destruction, the tomb of his death has become the womb of his deliverance. That's what the author's trying to draw our attention to. And so Jonah looks again at his situation and he begins to see God. Now, I don't know about you, but when you're at your lowest points, you probably, like me, have the tendency to feel as though those are the points where God is at his furthest away his most distant. And yet, Jonah begins to see that it's at his rock bottom, his lowest point, that God is actually closest. I'm not going to quote the Footprints poem, but it does get it right. When we're at our lowest, it it often feels like God's abandoned us and, and like we're stuck and we're not growing It feels like you're stagnant. But the author's trying to tell us, look again. Look again. So my question for you is this. How many of the most important lessons that you've learned in life have come through the easy times? How many important lessons have you learned through the easy, carefree blue sky days. My guess is not many. And if you're like me, and you look back in your life and you realize, actually, most 
of the wisdom that I've gained has been through times of difficulty. Some of them, situations that I've created through my own sin or stupidity. Some of them, because of the sin and stupidity of other people overflowing into my life. And some of them, you look at it and it just seems to come out of nowhere. But here's the point. Spiritual breakthroughs mainly come in realizing your weakness. Spiritual breakthroughs mainly come in realizing your weakness. That's not, it's not a fun thing. Some of us are actually angry at God for that. And yet, what we see in this story is that God loves his people, he loves you, and he desires everyone to turn from destruction and find their life in him. But sometimes the only way that he can get our attention is to allow us to go through the consequences of our sin, of our decisions. And it's not as if this is the first method that God used in Jonah's life. He spoke to him. Jonah didn't listen. He, he put him in a storm. Jonah didn't listen. He had the pagan sailors cry out to him and beg him to do what God had told him to do. He didn't listen. And sometimes the only way God can get our attention is to, to release us into the consequences of our sin. That's exactly what happened in the story of Israel. And I just want to share a little bit of my testimony here because I can really relate to Jonah on this particular point. So I remember time, this is not, this is not like confession time. This is just, a time. <laughs> I, I, I want to show you how this can work through the story of my own life. I really relate to Jonah. So I, Personally, I don't remember a time where God wasn't a reality in my life. I thank my parents for, for, for that, for their example and their teaching. And when I was 12 years old, I had my first kind of awakening to sin. The Holy Spirit revealed to me, Ian, the, the, the you you are at school is not the you you are at home. Which one is the real you? And I, I, I realized, oh, well, the, the home me, the Christian me, is the real me. So I dedicated myself. This is 12 years old. I got baptized that year, and that was my, my first kind of decision point consciously for Jesus. But I had a lot of bad habits in my life and thinking as a teenager. I've dealt with all of them now, thankfully. I had a very bad way of thinking that was constantly pushing the boundaries, Okay. It was a way of thinking that said, okay, what's the most I can get away with and still be okay? You know? What's the closest I can get to the line, God, without crossing over it? And so, technically, not breaking any of the, the explicit rules, but getting as close to the edge as possible, which, of course, as you know, is breaking the rules because you're breaking the spirit of the rules. <laughs> so really what was going on was, was kind of this hypocritical legalism. And I didn't really, I, I didn't see that. I wasn't awake to that. I was awake to the symptoms that that created in my life. 
And I remember getting so frustrated with myself continuing doing the same things and, and, and struggling with the same things, getting so frustrated once I got to college and just like feeling this disgust and crying out to God, God, break me. I just need you to break me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a prayer God likes to, to answer. And the way he did it was by allowing me to suffer the consequences of that particular attitude. And it led me to being fired from my first job as the pastor's kid, the missionary kid. And I can't tell you how ashamed I was at that, how much I felt like I'd failed everyone, <laughs> my family. I failed myself, I failed my coworkers, and I failed God. And it was, it was a very shaming experience. And this view of myself that I had as a teenager that, yeah, 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 I'm not like the worldly kids. I'm the good Christian kid because I don't do X, Y, Z. And God said, that, that view of you has to die. And so this was a little, a little death I had to experience of a particular view of myself. And so at age 12, I kind of saw my sinfulness and I had to turn away from that. Well, later on, God had to turn me away from my own sense of righteousness. And so I looked back and I realized he had answered my prayer for brokenness. But he'd done it in a way where I was experiencing the, the outcome of my own decisions. And I suddenly began to see my, my depravity without Jesus. And it was, it was a transformative moment. And I look back at that and I realize that's when I began to understand grace at a much deeper level than ever before. And when I look back, I see that I was the one that put myself in that mess. I sinned, I rebelled, but God appointed it for my good. And even though, you know, obviously I wish it didn't have to get to that, I'm grateful now that God allowed me to experience that because who knows where that would have taken had it, had it gone unchecked. And so, I don't know if you can relate to Jonah like that. If you can think back to a moment in your own life where God has had to let you go through something in order that you would see what grace actually means, what repentance actually means. And so, you see the same thing in Jonah. Jonah was the one who ran. Jonah was the one who asked to be thrown overboard. But now he's in the belly of the beast and he looks again. And now, as he looks again, he begins to see the hand of God in all of these circumstances. God's loving hand guiding him even in the midst of his rebellion. And so isn't that the story of the Bible? Isn't that the story of humanity and, and, and every one of us in different ways? And for Jonah, this is what takes him from talking of God in this distant kind of third-person way. It takes him through this journey of being able to arrive at saying, the Lord, my God. And the climax of the poem comes when he accepts his mission, it seems, and he declares, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so, 
there you go. Jonah is awakened. He's transformed. He repents. He's born again. And he lives happily ever after. The end. (laughs) You say, no, 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 Ian, don't stop there. We're really into this series. We've read the rest of the book and we know that there's more to the story because I, I, I know you've all done that. And uh, you say, Ian, Jonah's still, he's, he's a nasty piece of work even after this. And I don't know if you noticed, after he's done with the psalm, God commands the fish to vomit him out. That's not a good sign. <laughs> There was other ways it could have happened. He vomits him out. It's a sign that we need to look again. Right? Because when we read this in the context of what happens later, it can give us a different perspective on what happens in the belly of the beast. All right? So Jonah, we know, he accepts his mission and he goes and preaches in Nineveh. We're going to cover all that in future weeks. But if you know how it goes, yeah, Jonah goes and preaches, but he's a total brat about it, right? And Jonah is the most successful prophet out of all of them, and yet he complains the most. And he's angry at God for his success. And so it makes us ask, did Jonah really repent here? Look again. So he writes a poem that alludes to a lot of the Psalms like we saw, but from this perspective, we ask, okay, was Jonah just regurgitating kind of these memorized bits and like patching together this prayer from rote memory? Jonah says he's looking to God, but, but if you notice, most of the psalm is me-centered. It's over 60 times he uses a, a me, 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 me. And so you have to ask, okay, is he seeing the hand of God in his discipline? Or is he blame-shifting everything to God and not taking responsibility? You notice he doesn't actually ask for forgiveness. He doesn't actually repent of anything specific. And so, then you have this line about those who pay regard to vain idols. And you think, okay, Jonah, are you, are you talking about yourself in the third person? Or you're not talking about the sailors that, that just actually committed themselves and vowed themselves to Yahweh, are you? Because that's, that's pretty rich coming from you, Jonah. And so, is this, is this a poem of thanksgiving coming, in, you know, coming out of faith or you begin to ask, is this just kind of emotional immaturity? Like he's just flattering God with this churchy language? And if you read the poem in light of what happens next, all of these meanings start to seem a little bit plausible. And so you begin to ask, was this really an awakening? Did Jonah really change? And the commentators are split on this. They see different things. So, what does that have to say to us? Jonah was a Hebrew. He was part of the covenant people. And you might be here and you might already be a Christian. And through the course of your Christian walk, you've had an awakening like this, an awakening to your sin that's taken you deeper into the knowledge and experience and, and love of God. 
And sometimes when that happens, there's a tendency to look back on what came before, on your first repentance, on your first turning, and you see just how imperfect it was, how much was still left in you to deal with. And if you're like me, after that moment in my life, I looked back on my, my, my Christian walk up to that point, and I just felt disgusted by myself. Like, you called yourself a Christian that whole time, and yet this is how you were thinking. This is what you were doing. How could you be so rebellious? How could you be so dumb? And what can happen is you can begin to doubt the whole thing. You can begin to doubt. The enemy gets in and says, see, you never really understood this. You were never really a Christian. But here's what you need to see. This is what I think we see in Jonah. Repentance is not a one-time event. It's a gradual process. Repentance is a gradual process, not just a one-time event. Now, some of us who might be listening, who've never begun that process, they've never cried out to God genuinely, and there's a sense in which you're still running, or maybe you're still on the ship and you're asleep. No matter how you're rationalizing it, that's you. And you might think you've repented, and yet what you actually see when you, if you step back and view your life and you realize, I'm still holding on to my vision of life and I am heading in my direction and God is not going to sway me from that. And like Jonah in, in chapter one, he calls himself a Hebrew, but the fact is he, he hasn't surrendered. No part of him has died at that point. And so if you've never made that, that, that first step of, of crying out to God, of turning towards him genuinely, that's the starting place. You can't hold on to anything else. If, if you're coming to God and saying, well, I'm, you know, God, I'm repenting, but, but uh, you know, you don't understand what they did to me, or, or you don't understand this is what I have to do, or, or I have to, if you're holding on to anything, that's not, that's not actually repenting. It's not actually turning. But what you see in Jonah, the reason I think there is a level of genuine repentance here is that Jonah has nowhere else to turn. He is in the claws of death and he is crying out to God in desperation. And what the scripture promises is that all who call on the name of God will be saved. When we cry out like that, he promises that he responds and will save us. And so we look at Jonah and we see, well, he's still full of pride. He's still arrogant. And all those things still need to change. And yet God responds to his cry. God responds to his cry. It's almost like you could think of the picture of someone's drowning in the water, a bit like Jonah. And God reaches out his hand and says, grab on, I'll save you. And some of us are saying, no, 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 I can do it. I can swim. I can make it. 
I'll turn around. I'll swim back to shore. And we think that's repentance. And God says, no, you don't get it. You are in mortal danger. Grab onto my hand. And you know what? Faith is simply that. It's grabbing onto his hand. It's not, you know, perfecting your swimming ability. And, and you, you know, it's, it's literally just grabbing onto his hand. It's that, it's that I'm not holding on to anything else. I'm letting go and I'm allowing myself to be rescued by God. But it takes a realization that you can't swim to shore to do that. And so it's that climax of the, of the chapter. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, some of us, we've repented decades ago. And we still look at ourselves and say, man, I'm really still a piece of work. And other people look at us and say, yeah, you're really still a piece of work. (laughs) And man, I can't believe that person's a Christian. They've been a Christian 30 years and, and, or whatever. And, you know, you want to say, well, you should have met that person before. (laughs) But here's the thing. It's not a one-time event. It's not just, oh, 30 years ago, I heard the preacher and I came to the front and I repented. No, no, no. Have you continued turning? Have you continued dying to those areas in your life that God has, has awakened you to that need to die, to come to him, to turn to him? And the thing is, what we see in Jonah and like that, that image of being pulled out of the water, our salvation is not based on the quality of our repentance. It's not based on how well we've understood what was happening in that moment. Uh, it wasn't based on the level of brokenness necessarily. What we see is if there's even an ounce of trust, of throwing yourself on the mercy of God, he responds. It's imperfect. We're going to look in future weeks at, at how this story is such a parallel to the story of the prodigal son. You know, remember the story of the prodigal son? When the, I guess I'm doing it now. He, it says he comes to his senses and he goes home, right? It means he was hungry. He wanted some food and he realized he, he wasn't sorry for hurting the father. And yet even in that turning, he was welcomed back in right? And so even if our, if our repentance is imperfect, but if there's that, there's that genuine cry of returning to the Father and being welcomed back by him, God is so gracious that he accepts us and he pulls us out. And I believe what the story is showing us is the same thing that the story of Israel shows us, that God is a gracious God and he responds when we call on his name. Not when we've cleaned ourselves up, but even in the midst of our sin, when we've hit rock bottom and there's nowhere else to turn, that is exactly where he comes in and gives us his salvation. And it's not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. And so the point here is don't look back, look again. Don't look back at what went before, look again to him. Salvation is of the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. And so you are secure and, and, and confident in your salvation, not because of the strength of your trust or the perfection of your repentance, but because of who you're trusting in. When I read this particular thing, it, it gave me shivers when you, when you 
the word that he uses, salvation, is of the Lord. Do you know what word that is? It's literally the word Yeshua. Now, I'm not going to over-spiritualize that, but it's also not an accident. You know, this is the point in the story that Jesus appropriates to himself. In Matthew 12, he says, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he's talking about his own death. Right in the moment of death is the moment of new life. Jesus is saying, because I was willing to go to rock bottom, because I was willing to be swallowed up by death, because I was willing to descend into Hades, that's why there's grace for you. That's why there's grace for you, Jonah. All you need to do, in fact, all you can do in reality is cling to me. And if your trust, I just want to tell you right now, if your trust in him is based on your level of understanding or your obedience or your level of passion, then you're always going to live on this kind of, this, this iffy foundation because all of those things, they, they grow and they, they change and it's shifting sand whenever it's based on something that's in me. When your trust is based on him and his faithfulness, you can never be moved because he never changes. You can have complete assurance every time you're looking on him, fixing your eyes on him. And so if you're going through a dark night right now, if you're going through your rock bottom moment right now, whether it's something you caused, whether it's something someone else caused, whether you can't find a cause, look again. Look again at him. Don't worry about what came yesterday because there's a chance that that was the only way that God could bring you to be awakened to your need for him. I can't interpret your life that way, but I'm saying there's a chance. Maybe, just maybe, what you're experiencing is God's severe mercy. Not because he's angry at you or wants to punish you, because he loves you so much that he wants to turn you around, to protect you, to prevent you from where this path is taking you. And it's only in that moment where we're able to receive his life. And that's the process that we continually go through as we walk through a walk with him. And so this series, this last thing I'm going to say, this series is about mission, our vocation in the world. And I just want to encourage you that there's a lot of us who we, we look back at our, the imperfection of our own Christian walk and you say, well, you know, I don't really have a testimony. I can't really share my faith with other people because, you know, who am I to do that? And I just want to encourage you that you may lack understanding. You may lack a perfect story of obedience. But if you've encountered Jesus, if you've clung to him, you have a story. You have a testimony. The, 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 the minimum thing that every genuine Christian has is a testimony of how when you least deserved it, Jesus saved you and you clung to him and he took you out of the, the, the jaws of death. And that's a story 
to tell. And you may think, well, people don't want to hear that. People don't want to repent. And it's true, a lot of people don't want to repent, but there's, got, there's people that we come across in our lives that are at their rock bottom, and what they need to hear is exactly that story. Exactly that offer of hope. And so I want you to look again at your story and ask yourself, what, what might you need to die to? What's the next area that God wants to turn you around so that you can turn back to life? What do you need to die to today? How could the Lord be using your, your circumstances right now to wake you up to show his mercy? And who might need to hear that? Who might need to hear that story? So to those of us who are finding rock bottom right now, maybe you're struggling to cling to Jesus. And those of us who've never called on his name yet, I just want to end with this quote. And I'm, I'm going to invite our musicians up back here at, at, at Mukunji and Bethlehem, depending on the time, you can judge that. I just want to end with the words of Charles Spurgeon. He said, look, look to Jesus. There is life in a look. There is heaven in a look. Look unto me and be saved. Look. If you cannot go forth to fight by faith, stand still and look by faith. If you cannot declare the glory of the Lord, yet look. If you cannot tell what God has done for you, keep on looking by faith to see what God will do for you. Do the thing you did at first, which was simply looking at the crucified one. Look again to him. Do you stand with me as we close? Lord Jesus, we, we, we see our story in the story of Jonah. Lord, that we too have run away from you for a different vision of our life. We've been asleep to all the things in us that need to change. And Lord Jesus, I pray for any of us who has never cried out to you like Jonah, stir our hearts to cry out to you right now. Lord, that we would not need to get to the point of having to experience your severe mercy, but would we, would we turn to you in the moment of your light mercy? Lord, so we pray right now for anyone who is feeling that stirring within them, who's never turned to you before. My plea to you is turn to God right now, while you can. Turn to him. He's there. He's waiting for you to turn back. His arm is stretched out to you to lift you out. Turn to him. Look to him. Lord, for those of us who have been walking with you for a long time, give us the grace to continue that process of repentance, to continue turning to you, Lord, that even though we are walking with you, we belong to you, Lord, that we would not remain stagnant and complacent where we are, but we continue growing, continue turning to you. Lord, and give us the courage to share the story of your salvation with those around us. And would you use us to be that beacon of, of hope and grace 
and salvation to those who are at their rock bottom, who are drowning in the storms of life right now. Would you use us? We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.